Welcome everybody to Legal Tech Week for July 14th, 2023. This is the show where we sit around and talk about the top stories in legal tech and legal innovation from the past week. And uh, got plenty to talk about today. And uh, I am Bob Ambrogi. I serve as the moderator here and I write a blog called Law Sites and have a podcast called Law Next. And uh, our panelists today, uh, Starting with Joe Patrice. Uh, yeah. Hey, I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law and the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. I am happy to be here uh, as usual. Uh, I don't really have anything clever to say, I just realized. So but whatever. <laughs> There's a thunderstorm coming, so I might get a cool backdrop here. Uh, caught you off guard there. Uh, and uh, from all the way across the pond in the UK, Caroline Hill. Oh, I went off mute as soon as you went all the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hi, Caroline Hill, Editor-in-Chief of Legal IT Insider. Is it really me or am I an AI-simulated journalist? <laughs> Which is really me. Yeah. And uh, from all the way in Chicago, uh, Victor Lee. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Victor Lee. I am Assistant Managing Editor for the ABA Journal. Um, yeah, I don't know whether to talk about weather or talk about AI. I'm a little confused here. All right, well, how about you know we get uh, get an AI person to talk to us about weather? They're they're I'm sure that's coming up up at some point. Sounds good. And uh, all the way in Stephanie, I have no idea where, where are you in Brooklyn or something. I don't Brooklyn, know yeah. <laughs> yep, Brooklyn, way down south. No, uh, Stephanie Wilkins, editor in chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. Oh. And and just in the nick of time, <laughs> uh, from uh, and I don't know where you are either, Jean. Uh, Virginia. You're in Virginia, right? Okay, Jean O'Grady. Yes, but th this was a test. I couldn't join the legal tech roundtable unless I could get my camera to work today, so I passed. Uh, yes, so I am the editor and publisher of Dewey B Strategic, which covers legal information, knowledge management, and every anything else I'm interested in. We would have been happy to have your voice, even if we couldn't have gotten your video. <laughs> Thank so you, that, Bob. Would have, that would have been okay. And uh, I know a couple of us anyway. Gene, I assume you'll be at AAAL, and I know Stephanie and I will be at AAAL. So that's starting the American Association of Law Libraries, starting in Boston tomorrow. Uh, to me, it kind of sucks to have it in Boston because it's like my hometown, and I, I know. feel like I don't have as many good excuses to stay out and party all night. Yeah, well, um, the, they'll, they'll, you'll get your if you've gotten your invites, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I haven't gotten a ton of invites. Gene, you get all the good parties, I bet. But I, it's, I, uh, I'm, I've but I don't think few. they're as wild as the ILTA parties or the or the legal tech parties. <laughs> well, it used to be that the fast case suite filled that void. Yes. Poor Stephanie think, is not going to get to experience the fast case suite. I don't think there's going to be a VLEX suite. <laughs> not that I've heard of. Not that I've heard about. Uh, but, well, we got a couple of stories this week about uh, how AI threatens certain jobs. And uh, given that AAAL is tomorrow, Gene, uh, maybe we should start with your story on, on that. Yeah, so I, I really gave... Ken Crutchfield, the who's in charge of legal at uh, <laughs> Walters Kluwer, who actually is a great promoter of the legal information profession. I, I was really pissed off at the results from the 
the survey that they and it was also an above the law survey too. So you're going to yell at Joe Patrice too. Right. So above the law and Walter Kluwer did a survey in, I think it was in March, generative AI and the law, where could it all be headed? And what kind of work is going to go away? And number two on like, well, number one was document review by lawyers. So, okay, it's not all lawyer jobs, it's specific lawyer jobs. Number two was librarians. Now, how long have I been hearing that? At least 20 years. And and uh, Jeff Brandt picked it up this morning and said, no, Gene, I heard it in 1980. It's 30 years. I heard it back in 1985. So, I mean, I have to say if there's what, you know, in, in many ways, librarians have always, I say this all the time, they have been at the forefront of database creation, taxonomy, all sorts of things. And yet we're always being written out. And I think that the obvious way to me that librarians will continue to have a role is as um, what's now being called um, a prompt engineer, because what are librarians really good at? Crafting questions, answering questions, knowing how to extract uh, answers from large amounts of data and knowing what goes wrong with data. And so I just, to me, it's so obvious that there, there are going to be well, the profession, like many professions, the low-level work will go away. The high and and new kinds of new level, high-level work will evolve. So that that was my whole point. Yeah, and I I you know 100% agree with you. I I actually uh, for some reason was enlisted to write a chapter a few years ago in a book called Libra Law Librarianship in the Age of AI, and I wrote the concluding chapter on the future of AI in law libraries. And basically, that was my whole argument in the chapter was that AI is an opportunity for law librarians, and that it's it's an opportunity for them to really stand out in their organizations, whether it's a law firm or government or or academic setting. Uh, for so many reasons, I mean the ones the ones you mentioned, uh, in, in you know also just sort of in in the in the role of again helping to evaluate and, and vet these right. products where where they've really played a crucial role already in legal technology. So yeah, I thought that survey uh, was really uh, really got it wrong on that. But hey, you know it was just a, a survey, so I guess you say don't shoot the messenger. It wasn't Walter's Kluwer's fault. Right. It was the fault of the respondents. Just it was my fault. Yeah, no, I, w I was going to say the same thing. I was like, hey, hey, what this really shows, and it, it goes to, you were hearing that back in the 80s too, like it's a survey. It means this is what people think. It, they happen to be wrong, but it shows how consistently wrong they've been over time <laughs> as far as where law librarians are. And, you know, I mean, in fairness, when I first started out at the firm, I didn't grasp all the things law librarians could even do. Uh, I just thought that they were there to make sure that that room stayed stayed clean, you know, like and everything got put in the right pocket parts or whatever. Right. But as over time, you learn that they're actually very, very good at crafting research requests, knowing where things are and like that. That is a thing that comes with time, but it's still something that people often overlook, which is why these survey results did not actually surprise me uh, whether, uh, you know, they're not right. But it was what I figured people would say. And right. I mean, Go ahead. I completely agree with you all. And I I thought it was interesting because I've been having this conversation internally with a colleague of mine a lot because I went to clock and there were people up on stage just blatantly saying, you know, AI, generative AI is going to be the death of KM. And I was sort of like, that's a really bold statement. And there's, it got a lot of side eye, but there's definitely this camp. And then it was followed by this survey. 
And I've been having that conversation internally where I agree with you, or I think it just revitalizes the career and sort of points it in a new direction. Because I think also a lot of people don't understand law librarians. Like Joe was saying, when I was in the law firm, our law librarian was the most magic person in the firm. Like she, I went to her for everything. She could, and I don't know why that would be any different now that we're using AI as opposed to books or whatever we had in the interim then. So I, I'm curious to see what they talk about at AALL because there does seem to be this wide story being told out there that this is the death of KM. And I think it's so wrong. Yeah. It'd, be, yeah, it'd well, be interesting to see about tr- training, like whether, you know, so you do, they do will have to stay ahead of what's happening. And, and Jean, your point about prompt engineering, you know, there's an opportunity. It'd be interesting. I'll be really fascinated to hear from you guys after AALL about where this where they sit you know in terms of what what they should be doing right now in order to stay ahead of everything and which obviously law librarians have always done and and it'd be interesting to see how they need to position themselves to to always valuable but to make sure that they stay as valuable as they should be yeah absolutely the other point i thought about the survey was the survey was really about marketing and everybody it, we've seen all the large vendors go out and they just have to pu- but you know, plant a flag in the AI territory, even if they have no product to offer. It's like my product AI, my you know, my brand AI, my brand AI. It's like <laughs> everybody just needs to be out there. Yeah, yeah Gene, look, I, I was mean, trying even, to remember. I mean, we uh, always, go ahead, Victor. Sorry. Listen, I mean, we always talk about like, oh, so this technology is going to be the end of this industry. This this technology is going to be the end of this industry. And I mean, you know, I mean, look, travel agents, everyone thought, oh, or, orbits and, and all those. All those, uh, you know, Travelocity, all those sites are going to destroy them. And a lot of them did go out of business, but there's still uses for traveling. It's like I actually had to use one um, last year. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I, I was just like, tra- I, I travel agents, they're still, they're still around. But no, like they, they, they actually do things that, you know, a lot of people aren't accustomed to doing. Um, like we had, a, we had a really complicated situation where we were bringing our, our son home from Taiwan. And so you can't buy a one-way ticket for kids under the age of, you know, five, six years old because they think you're, you're trafficking a kid. So right. then you have to like go through, so you can't do it online you, and you can't do it over the phone. So you have to go through an agent who's trusted by by the agencies to then deal with them and do it to do it on their own. So we had no idea that this was even going to happen. And so, you know, look, it, it, for, for any industry, you know, like like the people who the people who can embrace the technology and, and, and use it to, to use it to make themselves more valuable and more, you know, more relevant will, will succeed. And the ones who are just content to just sit back and do the bare minimum and not do, you know, and not, and not adapt, they're, they're going to get wiped out. Just like, just like various other agencies. Yeah. Gene, I wanted to, uh, several years ago at the, I think the special law libraries program that precedes AALL, you chaired a, a day long program, I think talking about kind of the future of the program uh, profession, as I recall, and or, yeah. or maybe it was a half day, I don't know. Yeah. But what I remember is that something that kept coming up that day was this question of whether, whether we need to, change or essentially rebrand what we call law librarians and whether that's part of the misunderstanding about the role of that profession in today's world. I mean, what do you think about that? There's no question. And I am almost sorry that I, I that I caved and I used the word law librarian because I don't generally use it because, you know, one of an Australian librarian I knew said to me once, and I think this sums it up. She said, does your title open doors or close doors? And I think that is the problem with the term librarian because it is so 
deeply associated with clerical work and books and pocket parts. And, you know, so that's why, like on my blog, I refer to myself as a knowledge strategist, which is something I made up just to, and actually that is, that's actually, you've just reminded me, Bob, that's exactly why I started my blog, because it was the purpose of my blog was to talk about new roles for librarians to raise the profile and to change the definition. And unfortunately, several years ago, ALL had a vote. They were going to change the name or there was a vote on changing the name of the organization to the to the Association of Legal Information Professionals, I believe. And it was voted down. And I was a big advocate of changing the name. So I think, unfortunately, and I think especially because AAL has a lot of academic librarians, there are, there are certain pockets where the notion of a library isn't you know, still exists, but it doesn't exist in that way in law firms and probably not in corporations either. We're a series of services. You know, we are, are, are we touch not just the practice of law, but the business of law. And I think that's part of the problem. Isn't that where the rise of, you know, KM knowledge management came from to sort of? Yes, librarians have been doing KM since since right. catalogs were invented. Catalogs are knowledge management systems. Yeah. But like the KM sounds more sophisticated and doesn't have yes. like the dusty book connotation of yes. librarian. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's about whatever we do, whatever level we get to, however we do it, KM and librarians, etc., are about helping us to do it better and more efficiently. And there are always going to be a pressure on time. And there's always going to be someone who does it wrong. And there's always going to be like, you know, whatever, how, whatever it looks like, there's always going to be people who are guiding us and saying, right, you know, there's always going to be the net what's next, you know, like, and that and that's kind of where they sit, right? Like, are you doing it accurately? Are you doing it according to the firm's protocol? Are you doing, are you following these rules? Are you, and I don't think it's going to matter what and, is we're using, but they're going to have that role, whatever that looks right. like, I think. And is the data reliable? Is the source is reliable? A, I mean, that's, that is never going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> and are you looking in the right places for right. it? Oh, right. gosh. Yeah. And I I mean, this, this um, you know, there's a new, well, there's a startup that's now launched search across the whole of the DMS. And I said to them, you know, oh, wow. Well, you know, that's how do we how do how do you curate that? Right. How do you make sure that that's and, and, you know, they've got some impressive people on board. And I've been speaking to a couple of the DM providers and they're going, well, you know, this is interesting. Um, but it's like you you know, you're going to need people to just go, wow. OK, you know, we just need somebody to be in control of that. You know, well, that, sure I would have to say that system was not designed by a librarian because the first thing you need to do is get rid of the junk because DMSs yes. are full of junk that nobody wants to see when they right. run a search. You know, there's the- And just searching, and they'll be, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, they're going, you just search across it in natural language and find whatever you want, you know, and, and I'm just like, yeah, oh. Yeah, nice oh, idea. Just, just like, how do you know it's what you actually want? Oh no, because we know, and, and actually, you know, and it was deep judge they sort of revealed this new knowledge search this week it's just like wow you know you're going to need somebody to take control of that and you know, you know. so on, yeah. on that test of whether your title opens doors or closes doors i was at a, a conference this week of law professors and law faculty and deans and i mentioned that 
describe myself as a blogger and I, I noticed that there was one person giving me the particularly giving me the cold shoulder and I googled his name and found that uh, he had been raked through the coals of above the law a few times and so probably wasn't too friendly to me I'll I'll have to fill Joe in on that offline sometime but uh, so uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure blogger is a door opening title either um, but there was in uh, there was also another story this week uh, speaking of above the law in which uh, yet another doomsayer was uh, predicting uh, AI's effect on the legal profession. Joe? Yeah. So what's annoying to me about this is it wasn't just a like random doomsayer. It was the OECD, who's theoretically an organization that has some reputable uh, cachet out there, you know, like who's supposed to be spending its time really looking at the international economic market and uh, making policy recommendations. And they put out a report where they said that uh, AI is going to kill a bunch of jobs, which sure, uh, at some, I'm sure on some level that's true. But they went further. Uh, I personally assume for the purpose of getting more headlines for their report, they went further to say that actually the highly skilled jobs like lawyers are going to be more hit, most hit by AI, that more than any other entry level thing, it's going to be lawyers who are replaced because AI is going to start making decisions for us and AI's output is indistinguishable from what lawyers create. First of all, nobody was apparently paying attention to the chat GPT thing that we talked about for weeks, right? Uh, don't know how that escaped them before they hit send on this report. But, uh, but I decided to really dig into the report and figure out what what evidence do these people even claim, uh, pretend to cite for this idea that it's going to come after lawyers more? And ultimately, when I dug into the full report instead of just the top line, they cite one article that doesn't even conclude that. And they say that that article raises that some lawyers are worried about it. And that's it. That's the only support they have for the idea that it's going to affect lawyers more. And all I can think is this goes back to exactly to the survey issue. When people subjectively say they're worried, that is not a conclusion. That is how they feel. That is not reality. I don't I'm so annoyed at this report. I don't understand how anybody thought it was OK and then how it got reprinted by other people I, like uncritically like i saw it in major news outlets uh really annoying anyway so that was my rant of the day uh no it's not coming for highly skilled people who really needs evidence i mean the logic is uh lawyers generate content gpt generates content so therefore one replaces the other yeah, yeah. even even uh, I, so uh, open ai just as one are working on what we've got now they, they've got like a year ahead, right? That, 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 so Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, spoke at Clifford Chance, and he said, you know, what we're what we're dealing with is different to what they're working on right now. I think, you know, even if just throwing it out there, you know, it would to do a ton of stuff accurately, completely accurately that that lawyers do now, right? There, there will be a multitude. There's so many different ways of looking at it. Like, A, from an access to justice point, we can service potentially so many more people, right? Like, there could be, I just think that it's so, like, quite narrow-minded to think, oh, end of lawyers, when actually lawyers have proven themselves to be very resilient, they're very necessary, that, you know, 
it's just not that one dimensional. Like even if it were to be able to replicate a whole ton of stuff, that means maybe that a whole group of people who can't currently get access to justice might be able to. And then lawyers could be doing something different. I just don't think that it's a sensible sort of the end of lawyers conversation just in that one dimensional way. It's just not smart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think that 90, 95 percent of the population has no legal representation, what are no. they thinking? Yeah. And I hope that it will get more accurate and I hope that a ton more people will be able to be using GPT or whatever it might be to to to, ha to help. You know, I think that would be an absolutely brilliant result, you know, and and, and actually, I <laughs> but but I mean, obviously, we're not there yet. But but and then lawyers will be doing, you know, there'll be different. I think there's going to be changes. Right. I don't think that we can say that things are going to be exactly the same. I think it's going to change. So we will talk about this too much, but, you know, it will change a ton of stuff, but lawyers will be doing something different. It will look different, probably, um, but they will not be out of business, I don't believe. I mean, oh, sorry, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I spoke with, um, for an upcoming podcast episode, I spoke with John Tredenick, who is, you know, Biggie Discovery guy, and now he's doing searches and whatnot. And, you know, he, he and, and he was talking about the case, okay, yeah, like, we, we talked about this issue about AI replacing lawyers and whatnot. He goes, well, for like, and, 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 this is, and, and this is this is no different from what a lot of people have been saying. It's just like for a certain type for certain types of lawyers, yeah, like it could definitely replace them, like like discovery lawyers, contract lawyers, those first pass lawyers who sit in a room and like you know go through the go through documents and whatnot. Yeah, it could definitely go through them. It could definitely if it it, it, it could definitely uh, get rid of them or, or make them obsolete. You know, and 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 as far as like and and, and you know. It, would that be unfortunate? Yeah, of course it would, it would be because anytime, anytime you replace, anytime you you eliminate jobs or or replace humans and whatnot, then then you know that that's not a good thing. But you know it might also force, you know these it might, it might also force some of these lawyers who you know maybe might have might have just been content to just do you know do do e discovery for you know just just to, to pay the bills and whatnot. It, it might it might it might actually allow them to then do go on to do other things. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily bought that argument because you know just based on based on what i've seen from like you know reporting on this stuff over the years and also you know from recruiters and whatnot you know once you kind of get labeled as a contract attorney it's hard to kind of uh transition to become like a you know associate or you know get hired to like be like a general practice lawyer unless you go out on your own or you go to like a much smaller firm or whatnot but you know but 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 if it forces some of these people to then you know go in and, and try for it then i guess you know, um, it might not it might not necessarily be a bad thing because it'll it'll allow them like to be able to do the kind of things that they were that they were that they were trained to do from law school and from you know um, um, and whatnot why they wanted to go be lawyers in the first place. But yeah, it, it's definitely a complicated question as far as like you know who's going to be affected by it, how people are going to be affected by it, and whatnot. But the idea that's going is just going to wipe out the whole industry that's that 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 that's absurd. Well, and I'll I'll add. Well, hold on, I gotta add, Rube. Since since I wrote this, there's one clarification that's worth noting, which is that there there is something to be said for the contract attorney thing. But this article really leans into it'll be the higher level decision making that gets replaced, which that's the part that got me. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go to, and I don't think it's necessarily the profession. It's it's the work being carried out, the, the judgment aspect of what lawyers do. Even the people that are making the most advanced AI for legal are not saying it replaces human judgment. It replaces the other things. It replaces the roles where there isn't a lot, like a lot of contract attorneying. There's minimal judgment involved. A lot of it is, you know, the other aspects of it. And so the, the concept that it's going to replace the actual decision makers and the high level work to me, that's absurd. It will definitely replace a number of uh, displace a number of tasks, 
but the profession as a whole and like the core intellectual concept of what lawyers do in an ideal world, that's what it's not touching. Yeah. Yeah. I it, like, I just, uh, it, I, it, it was the way in which it's, it couched its argument in it will, it will be able to handle the judgment calls. And that just really, that was where I lost it. Uh, and I, I thought about the computer, uh, introduction of computer stuff and you know like oh well the industry is really gonna take a hit when we aren't billing all this time being in libraries and stuff and it's like well no the computer research happened and then we just processed we read more cases uh and i think that's gonna keep happening like well there's gonna lawyers will find a way i mean yeah, but lawyers are gonna find a way to turn the bill uh there will be you know they if this gets faster and gets more data processed quicker they'll take on another case or they'll find a way to drag this out like there's there's no end to how lawyers can figure out how to get paid well and to a degree i was on a panel a few months back at a firm talking about you know ai and the question came up like will this replace associates will it whatever and i'm just like raise your hand if you feel like you always have all the time you need to get your work done like not even close like i mean especially like ed and big law there's not a time I couldn't have used like three extra days to finish a project. You just have to do it when it's done. And like, so if something used to take you six hours and now it takes you one, maybe that's great. It doesn't mean you're not doing work. You can actually get to more work or do the work you're doing better and maybe not spend 25 hours in a weekend at the office. Well, the big AI fail was all caused because the lawyers never went and read the cases, which is AI is not you know, no technology says that lawyers don't have to actually understand the precedent they're citing. We, we've talked about it before, but I mean, I think so much of this fear is really around, not that AI is going to replace them, but that AI is going to reduce their billable hours. And yeah. it comes, it's so much of the fear comes down to the whole billable hour model and the need, you know, it, it drives the need for a greater discussion. And we've talked about this before around alternative forms of billing for legal services, uh, whether that's value billing or, or, or project-based billing or wh whatever it is, uh, it, hourly billing just doesn't work in an AI world. And it's not just from the you know, billing clients to justify your fees or whatever, but it, it bleeds into so much of how the business of law works and the structure of them. So, cause like, like you said, even how are you going to prove your worth as an associate or hit your billable hour target to get your bonus? Like all it, it has to go deeper than just what you're billing the clients. It's a really entrenched structure that even when you're building, when you're building out an AFA, you're doing the math in your head of like, oh, well, I think it's going to take us about this amount of hours. So this is a fair amount. It's just, it's such the baseline math of how it works. So it's a really complicated discussion that needs to be taken on, I think. And maybe the, the whole concept of things taking longer, being worth more, like it needs to be changed to being done quicker is worth more. Like I find it the concept of that you should spend more time doing something is, you know, because obviously the billable hour has got this, you know, we've got this concept of, you know, if you do more time on it, that's a more valuable thing. We perhaps need to rethink the whole thing for the client. If it's done quicker, then it should be worth more. I know certainly within the higher, like, so if you, I think I've talked about this before, but when you get to the really high end, private equity deals that that they will pay huge amounts of money for something to get done quicker so they're not necessarily fearful of tech actually if they can say to their big private equity client we can get you to acquire this this company far quicker than the next firm that's worth more and it, it, the whole thing needs to be perhaps rethought you know um which is definitely easier said than done yeah because yeah. certain the highest billers could actually charge double if they can get you the answer twice as fast 
if they sold it that way. Some of their fees. Yeah. yeah. That's the way, I mean, that's the way they, it's just crazy the way that you, I'm going to spend loads. Of, and any of us who've used a lawyer, just, you know, I would, yeah, it's just, it's just makes it nonsensical in any normal world, right? Do it quicker. Well, I would just want to pay the same, but <laughs> it's worth more if it's quick, if it's faster, potentially. Well, there's a couple of stories this week around the topic of fundraising uh, in the legal tech world. And uh, one of them uh, is kind of a, a broad story. One of them is a pretty specific one. But, but Caroline, you've got some interesting, uh, kind of an interesting overview of uh, what's going on in that area. Yeah, so this was, um, I did a, I asked um, Raymond Bledbleed from Legal Complex to, um run me he's obviously a bit of a data guy data wizard and I said could you compare the first because obviously now we're at the half year I said could you compare this half this this half of the year to last half in terms of funding um and the figures that he came up with were that deal funding funding as opposed to debt deals were down by 43 percent this half so in the first half of 2023 so it was over three billion last year and it's below two billion this year he does include tax um which i don't know why we have to include tax but anyway we do include tax um not just legal tech deals but obviously the funding it, it probably doesn't come as a a huge surprise that deals are down obviously i've heard from lots of different conversations about m a deals we know m a deals are down but that, that was quite a drop i was perhaps surprised by the you know almost half like almost 50 percent um down on on this time last year debt deals were up that again from when you can't get growth equity you go to debt so debt debt was up he he kind of viewed that as quite a positive thing because um you know for for startups for example you don't have the same loss of control or as you do with vc so there's a sort of upside to that um but those those kind of deals were were up dramatically but um and then the only caveat so june was worse than all of the other stats I think it was down June was down 76% on June last year in terms of funding deals um but then the kind of slight potential improvement of the sort of caveat as well is that um obviously we've got generative AI deals coming down the track which might turn things around um but it was pretty bleak to be honest with you the figures yeah, it's kind of consistent with what it's been seeming like. I mean, there hasn't been as much, you know, sort of big, uh, big VC news mm. this year. I, I, I don't, I don't have any data at all to substantiate this, but there does seem to be uh, an increasing activity at kind of more of the lower stage, like sort of seed rounds and stuff, and a lot of smaller tech companies uh, getting some some uh, money in their pockets. But I mean, that tends to generally be, you know south of $5 million or something, if even that, a couple of million dollars. Uh, but yeah. I, I think there's, uh, uh, you know, and, and of course, then there's the M&A side of it, like, you know, the case text deal and that that kind of thing. But uh, yeah. I mean, the, um, no, this not surprising with obviously inflation is, I think this is in, it's interesting because it's global. I mean, these were global figures, not just UK, so it goes, but, you know, inflation is high, interest rates are high. It's, you can understand the the, the caution um it's and, and you know it's just it, it, we've, we've been here before we're all old enough we've been in the, <laughs> we've been through this cycle of it's just what happens right corporate goes down litigation goes up um i actually heard that many great litigation stories apart from everyone suing open ai or in the in the sort of gen ai space obviously there's lots of excitement on that front. 
Right. But that's why I guess some people are speculating that there's, you know, sort of this gen AI bubble in funding. Cause I was talking to the the patented AI guy that made LLM shield and he had a 4 million pre-seed round, which is even he was like, and he's been a tech entrepreneur for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's insane. I've never seen a pre-seed that level. And even he was like, maybe it's the bubble, but I'm going to take it now while I have it. But it is. I really think it is the earlier rounds we're seeing it a lot more in. Yeah, I think there's someone's pointed. There's quite a few people pointing that in the chat, and actually that was borne out in in the research um, that the it was the later stage companies that were struggling to get um, to get funding. And as, as Dan points, Dan O'Day. Points I know, out, right? Not, not all companies didn't. That's <laughs> he what made me bucking laugh. the trend there at ECFX. But, uh, <laughs> I'd like to know if you're if someone posted something about illegal prompts. I does any can anybody comment on that? I don't know what an illegal prompt is. <laughs> so this was yeah. I, I said it's in the it, chat. It, yeah, I said you don't, put it in. You don't want hey hey hey. You don't want to know. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I assume it, it, it means. I, I assume it means like the jailbreak prompts where you can like get ChatGPT to violate its own internal rules. Like there's been a lot of them. There was like the Dan one. They're like, I'm assuming the jailbreaks is what that means. It said, so the person who posted it, just to post some panelists said, um, I asked what an illegal prompt is and the group played with the term landing on prompting that results in phishing or spamming, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and right so. also to Brian's comment. Yes, of course the slowdown in funding is, 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 is not, not unique to, to legal and often yeah. uh, you find the, the funding cycles in, in legal tech have kind of trailed some of the cycles in, in other other verticals although that's less so these days i think than in the past um i do i have find i don't know if, if you guys get i get a lot of calls from like people working at vc firms who like want to pick my brain about different things and uh i i've been getting a lot of calls lately just about the good old-fashioned practice management world uh it seems like there's I don't know, brewing potential interest among some of the VCs in in that space, the space that, uh, you know, my case and Clio and, and others occupy uh, and uh, curious whether uh, whether we'll see some new activity in that area, as opposed to some of the sexier ones like AI or yeah. contract lifecycle management. Nothing is more sexy than contract lifecycle management. Right? Well, and to go back, <laughs> just to go full circle on the death of KM by... AI at clock, it was all the CLM people saying that AI was going to kill knowledge management and it was going to supercharge CLM to almost take over half of what you could get from KM. Didn't make sense, but they were the biggest advocate, maybe because, you know, there hasn't been as much attention on CLM lately. I don't know. Um, all right. Well, so that's sort of the big picture of financing. Uh, but then, uh, then there's a story uh, in which uh, maybe one one uh, AI co-founder feels wishes he was maybe uh, had some more insightful perspective on the uh, on the financing scene. Uh, Stephanie, that, you've got that story. Yeah, this is plain a doozy. It has literally, it has fraud. It has embezzlement. It has. I, I, I can't even tell you all the stuff. But so the the founder, one of the two founders of Stability AI, who has now gone into stable diffusion and they're now known for all of the art generation stuff. Um, they originally started, they were trying to do the, the early generative AI stuff like to do COVID projects and whatever. And 
they didn't really pan out. And that turns out it's also alleged because that this dude was siphoning funds out to do other stuff on the side and pay for lavish apartments. But um, so his co-founder was like, this guy has ruined his reputation. He's tanked us. I want out of this. At the time of the valuation, he had a million shares, I think it was, that they built out. He had 15% of the company and his co-founder bought him out for $100. $100 or not more zeros on that. Turns out a couple of months later, they get $4 million in seed funding and or, or $100 million. And then for, they're now a unicorn, right? And the whole time while he was telling this guy we're worthless, I'll buy you out for $100, he was already siphoning money away from, allegedly, from the COVID projects to build what is now stable diffusion, getting VCs interested in it, building up this whole business plan, kept it all from his partner, bought him out for $100, and then turned it into a unicorn and ran away with all the money. And so now the partner that got um, bought out for $100 is suing him for fraud and lots of other things. It's, it's such a bizarre story. Mm -hmm. uh, I, 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 I was reading the story and feeling like, I don't know whether whether to be sympathetic or to this guy or or whether he just made a really bad mistake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty impressive that this other dude was building the whole AI art generator on the side with nobody knowing. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Because it came out in a couple of months. It wasn't a matter of, you know, oh, we just refocused and came up a couple of years later. It was like within months they had, they were valued at a billion dollars. So the one who was suing didn't even know that this was happening at all and had no inkling of the nope. art generator thing? Nope. Wow. He knew the COVID related project had failed and he thought it was like this guy's bad leadership and he was doing things with money. And he had then they, he heard the rumors about him stealing from past partners. And there's a lot of embezzlement things. He's like, I'm out. This guy, he's taking money. He can't even do a project. He can't follow it through. And all this other stuff was going on on the side. All right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel if someone offers you like $100 for like a 15% stake, you might as well just keep it, right? I mean, just in the hopes right. that it's going to bounce back and like go back up. I mean, right, you might as well just keep it, right? I mean, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if you would have been on the, on the hook for anything else, but yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, and apparently there's like an evidence spoliation issue about the guy. He thought he was going to be sued, so he deleted all of their WhatsApp communications. It's like a, it's like an issue spotting exercise for a, like law school or the bar exam. Yeah, it's, that's what it sounds it really like. Really has everything. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, you just set me up for the next gen bar review. I was just gonna say, is this <laughs> gonna be on that exam rather not bar review? <laughs> Didn't even know it, but there you go. <laughs> I uh, I wrote a whole article on why the next gen bar review bar exam questions are stupid and absolutely do nothing to solve the problems of the bar exam. So check that out if you care about bar exam stuff. Less legal techie. Yeah, I haven't yeah. even looked into what the next gen bar exam actually is. Like, just the whole name of it has me just. Well, off. <laughs> well, they're about they're in, increasing the amount to which the the questions test skills rather than doctrinal knowledge. And by testing skills, what they mean is here's the fact pattern. If you were a researching associate, what would you find the answer to this doctrinal question to be? It's like they put they couch it as though like they you're role playing in research, but it doesn't actually make you do the research. So it actually doesn't do any of the skill testing that they claim they are doing they right. just like rewrite the questions to per 
it's like cosplaying as re, as research. Oh, it's real it, bad. It, it, it's like storytelling. You know, like let's let's imitate <laughs> storytelling. I don't know. That's weird. So it's on. Yeah. I mean, this Isn't week they re- they released these the first for the first time yeah. they released this sort of sample what these questions might look like and yeah, immediately I think that they came out it's like Tuesday afternoon Monday afternoon uh, and I know that Gabe Tenenbaum and Suffolk immediately fed them into GPT and they immediately GPT immediately scored 100 percent on on, oh, nice. on the questions so uh, there you go there uh, I I was I I mean, it's not strictly legal tech, but it is it is legal innovation because it is an attempt to, you know, to reform the bar exam and to make it more reflective of, of kind of the, you know, the skills that lawyers actually need to have and to address some of the criticisms around the fact that the bar exam is old fashioned. But I, I was at a I was at, as I said earlier, at this conference of uh, law uh, faculty and, and uh, law school people earlier this week and it was kind of fascinating being there as this came out because they're all really concerned about how they teach to this <laughs> uh, or do they teach to this uh, and part of the interesting uh, you know it 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 de-emphasizes some of what have been the core subjects um, is it properties not on there or something I forget or, or uh, secure secured transactions aren't on there anymore I think or some stuff like that and it and it puts greater emphasis on some sort of maybe soft skills things like negotiation uh in theory and and uh client counseling uh, uh, stuff like that um and so if if at, at law schools they're like you know sort of furiously convening these faculty committees to talk about how do we how do we need to change our curriculum and and even worse, I mean, once this next gen exam comes out, it still has to be adopted on a state by state basis. So they don't actually know which states will be using that exam, I guess, versus what the existing exam or, or a prior exam or some other exam. Uh, and so they don't even know, like if you have students from multiple states, you might have to be preparing students for multiple different kinds of bar exam options uh so uh really kind of a fascinating dilemma i guess for for law schools and trying to figure out how are we teaching uh teaching students around this but well, it I, mean, seems like, I mean the setup of it seems like it's more like a law school exam in general with the hypos and then you know you pick the issues that are relevant and, and rather than writing writing essays or writing you know like how it applies you just you just pick a b or c or whatever i mean so i guess in, a, in some ways it's easier some ways it's, it's harder but you know but but it seems like it's more, it's more kind of like what a what a traditional law school exam is, um, yeah. yeah. Which I but guess, they, yeah, it's 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 better in some ways, but yeah, it, it kind of it kind of brings up a lot of the same issues. It's sort of like, well, does this really prepare people to practice or really prepare people for you know for work? And who yeah, wants, I, like you really want a lawyer that can't do that doesn't know property issues? I mean, it just it seems like shouldn't the soft skills be treated sort of like ethics? Like you take that separately. I don't see why you have to take away core expertise and knowledge and you can, you can do both. It's not, it's not binary. I go the other way. I say you take away the core knowledge and just do the soft skills. And, and here's what I mean by that. I, I've, it strikes me that if I were, and I'm not, but if I were a 40 act lawyer, why the hell am I cramming my head full of a bunch of Fourth Amendment standards and criminal procedure garbage? Right, like if I'm not gonna, because if I'm a property lawyer, represent a shark. 
I mean, like, yeah, but I, I'm I'm not. I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Sullivan and Cromwell, and I'm gonna do banking. Oh, yeah, they... camp. yeah, like it, that. That's the thing, and so I think that the right answer is to not have the bar exam handle that core stuff. To instead do kind of the general skills stuff, and then really lean on if if it's going to be done at all, and then really lean on maybe you have a setup for people to get certificates in specific areas. Uh, maybe, although personally, I think the right answer was junk this test entirely. And, and finally, then we would have leverage to really crack down on the ABA would finally have leverage here. Yeah, this is exciting for the ABA. Uh, they would actually really have the leverage leverage to crack down on accreditation and say, okay, so now you, your diploma really has to mean something. So we're going to have real standards and not that they don't try to have real standards now but anytime they crack down on somebody they get sued and have to give up because paul clement sues them for making making a diploma mill law school feel bad but if we're in a situation where they really are that is really what the gatekeeping device is those law those lawsuits wouldn't be nearly as powerful yeah but what's going to happen to all the all the, the graduates who don't become associates at fancy law firms and have to go out on their own and don't have, you know, don't, don't know what the elements of a will are. That's not fair either. Well, but you I wouldn't mean, have a law school argument as we're teaching you to think like a lawyer. That's not the reputation of the profession. But you wouldn't hire somebody who just like, you know, the last time they, they, they did a will or the last time they looked at the contract was for the bar exam. You're not going to hire that lawyer. You're going to hire someone who, who practices in the area. So like, I never understood... Yeah. The whole concept of once you pass the bar, you're eligible to practice any kind of law. I'm like, well, why? Like, like you would never hire if you wanted to do a will. You would never hire somebody who, like, the last time they they, they started trusting us, this was in law school. That that's that's wouldn't happen. Yeah, I mean, isn't isn't the basic law school premise that you're te they're teaching you to think like a lawyer, not to have all the all the knowledge at your fingertips that lawyers well, I, need to have? I like Dan O'Day's suggestion that for every practice area, there's something like the, the patent bar exam. I like that idea. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, no, also notably, uh, I don't think I realized the extent to which this is happening, but I guess there are a number of states now that are looking at getting rid of the bar exam entirely or providing an alternative method of admission in addition to the bar exam. And I, th I think it was Oregon that's pretty, it's either already implemented this or is pretty far ahead on this where they're gonna have yeah. a couple of different routes to bar admission, including essentially doing an, an internship kind of a thing uh, and, and uh, having to go take a, take a sort of a, almost like a, you know, a doctoral exam or something at, at, at some point after you've done that for a while. Yeah, some states have diploma privilege for, 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 for like people that go to law school in, in their state. I think Wisconsin, Wisconsin does, and I think yeah. Utah. I think maybe. Um, I, yeah. yeah, they yeah. they they recently did that. I think I think during COVID, the Utah one happened. I like yeah. the comment. I couldn't have written a contract to sell my dog when I graduated. That was me. <laughs> I do think yeah, that, I do think that the softer skills is interesting. So I'm I'm hosting a webinar next week, and we're talking about the digital first law firm. Um, and what that looks like. And I, this is relevant to what people are taught because we were saying about it, the digital first law firm is not about automating people out of the equation. And actually, in fact, it's about cutting out the crap so that then you can spend more time in a people people role, like doing the stuff that's important. And the EQ 
probably is going to be increasingly important and we're we're pretty bad at that and at law school you can't teach necessarily EQ but I think you know teaching people how to actually practice as well I I agree with Jean you know I don't think that you can send people out without having any of the knowledge but you know perhaps a bit more focus on how to be especially with lawyers who are highly insecure you know we've been proven to be have certain characteristics which makes us terrible in many senses um perhaps focusing on some of those more soft skills might prepare people more for the future that we're talking about the other uh, topic really kind of relevant to what we've been talking about today at the, that came up at this conference is that these, this is like an unconference where people just kind of posted topics and we went into small rooms and talked about them. And so I put one up on like, you know, should law schools be teaching more about uh, uh, the implications of, of generative AI for the legal profession or something like that, thinking nobody would come to my discussion. And a whole bunch of people came and, and all what they wanted to know is how can they tell when their students are using GPT to write papers? <laughs> I, I mean, their, their focus is entirely misguided. Now, I shouldn't, I shouldn't overgeneralize like that, not all of them, but for some of the people there, their, their focus is still on the sphere factor around generative AI. Uh, and they have, and, and they're struggling to kind of figure out you know, a do they embrace it? Do they say this is this is the future, uh, this is the present, uh, and we need to teach around it, uh, or or you know embrace it and teach around it, uh, or do we somehow try and you know keep keep it out of law school and and keep it out of uh, students' papers and whatever else? I mean, I think the consensus certainly was that they they all understand that there's really no uh standing in the way of it i mean i think one of them even said this would have been like you know telling students uh 30 years ago not not to use westlaw uh it wouldn't have made any sense but they are really struggling with how they should go forward around it i thought that was a really interesting uh, discussion. it's a real struggle from a learning so my son who's 14 he's been doing his french homework and he said gpt gpt is amazing at french he's like and he's suddenly getting all these like good and i'm just like this <laughs> This is disaster because when you come to do your exam, your teacher's going to think you're going to get an A and actually you just don't know what you're doing. And, and so it's it's really pro it is genuinely for pupils and for teachers, it's genuinely pro problematic. But of course, students are going to use it. Um, but, you know, there's going to come a point, perhaps, when we suddenly realise the implications of the fact that people have been using something and paying no attention. I would have done it and then they're going to do their exam. I mean, perhaps I'm being a doomsayer, but um i don't know how they get on top of it though because as far as i can tell that there's there was all this chat in the beginning about oh you can you can tell if it's been written by chat gpt through these different things but i don't think you can does anyone does anyone i don't think that's right somebody just posted on that yeah the okay. detectors i mean detectors exist but they're not great they're, they're not great no really, no and, and it was technically i technically i think it's parlay jpay right like that's how we do <laughs> What? <laughs> trying to say because because it's French, yeah. <laughs> Which clearly Joe just, wasn't. Joe just had ChatGPT write his French exam for him. No, no. Oh, what I, I did, what what uh, I did is dig back into five years of completely wasted my life, where I learned French for five years and remembered none of this. So I had to like really <laughs> dig deep. <laughs> Claude speak French. No, see, you know, you know, you know, we used to cheat, we used to cheat the old-fashioned way by using cliff notes or monarch notes. You know, I mean, where where did that where 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 did that go? You know? 
That's exactly movies. There have always been ways students can cheat. There's always been whatever. You can't block people from accessing AI. You just can't. And you just have to figure out how to work with it. And you might not know the answer overnight, but you can't. I mean, this this is genie is not going back in the bottle. You're gonna have to figure out how to work around it. To be fair, you could have just asked Google, right? Like you can it's not going to do as good a job of writing an essay, but you know, it's not, it's not the same, but there's always, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Dan had a, co- a hilarious comment. If there's no g- grammatical errors, it's a good clue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the spelling is correct. It's a good clue. Yeah. Or if it's actually good French, just full stop. They're like, ah, mm-hmm. They could have just used Grammarly and not, uh, not GPT. Don't get me started on Grammarly. <laughs> yeah, I know it. <sighs> Uh, All right. Well, uh, last but not least, we have a good old fashioned ethics opinion that has absolutely nothing to do with GPT. (laughs) Yeah, I I was. uh, It's Victor's. Yeah, I I wanted to change things up a little bit. I'm a little GPT'd out, you know, but uh, (laughs) although I guess, you know, well, you know, there is some. No, 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 actually not really. Uh, Who knows? Maybe maybe at some point the ethics opinions will start will start being written by GPT, which which would be incredibly ironic. But um. But yeah, um, you know, how like, do we know they're uh, not so, already being? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> well, so the um, so the ABA released a uh, formal opinion this week talking about you know ethics for uh, you know, lawyers who want to share offices. I mean, this is you know, obviously becoming more of a more of a more of a thing with um, you know people decreasing their um, their real estate footprints, people you know moving into like you know um, uh, you know hoteling arrangements. Uh, things like that, you know, splitting, 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 um, splitting room with with um, uh, other other lawyers to you know save money and whatnot. Um, and so uh, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of things like a lot of ABA ethics opinions. A lot of the stuff was pretty basic and like things that if you think about it, they're they really should be no brainers. But you know, the very fact that they had to like issue the opinion means that probably some people were doing this. So you never know. Um, but it's, it's, it's just very basic stuff. Like if you're going to use, um, you know, if you're going to use like a, like a hoteling arrangement, why not? You have to have, you have to make sure everybody's on the same page. You can't, you have to make sure there's walls up in case there's, you know, cases, cases of clients that, are, that could potentially be in conflict. You have to make sure you safeguard your, 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 your data. You have to make sure, you know, um, um, you know, you keep things confidential. Like, again, all very basic stuff, but you know, sometimes you have to drill that stuff home. Um, and you have to, you know, release an opinion so that then, you know, you can at least say that you put people on notice for it. Um, so, but yeah, but ultimately, you know, it, it was all pretty, pretty sensible things, sensible stuff. And, and, and again, things that I'm sure most conscious lawyers already knew. Uh, but, you know, so that's that pretty much what it was. Could you address Guy's question of what is an office? It, it, it's a state of mind. Now, um, <laughs> well, here I'll, I'll, I'll refer you to I'll, I'll refer you to ChatGPT. Then you, know, you can. You can. I, I, is any, is I anyone read... in New York? Because I hear New York's going to. They're pushing for four days in the office yeah. of New York. Oh, and London. There's like at least three big law firms that have gone to four days in the office now. Yeah. yeah. There's a massive in the city over here. I was in. The, I was in for a meeting, and it was just. Packed. It was like it felt busier than pre-COVID, and and some of the big firms are obviously pushing for for four days. My question was: This is a really random one. You'll be surprised to hear. 
four minutes. But so with with so people are, who are working from home, right? There was this thing about climate change in the UK in the immediate future. I don't mean like long term. I mean like this summer is going to be boiling hot. People are working from right. home. It's already been like bakingly hot, so you can't concentrate. So you're going to have people who are working from home who are potentially going to be thinking about alternatives because, and perhaps they won't have an office to go back to because perhaps they won't be from one of the firms that are trying to encourage them to go back. And they're going to be, so to Victor's point, you know, you might have people trying to come up with these creatives. I don't know, I'm just envisioning, but it's going to be absolutely boiling. And we certainly are not set up for that kind of heat wave. It's going to be, so I just think it's going to be really interesting as to how that impacts on people working from home. Because I know for me, for one, I'm not a lawyer anymore, but it's going to be, if it's temperatures that they say it's going to be later in the summer, it's going to be a nightmare working from home. And I just thought that was quite an interesting take on it, the kind of working from home ideal. Well, yeah, it was funny. Like when I, I when I was younger, um, whenever because because my 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 parents like growing up growing up growing up we didn't have air conditioning, um, so whenever we get really really hot in the summertime, my parents would just take us to like a movie or take us to like you know the mall uh, or, or, yeah. or take us grocery shopping just to like get us an AC for like a long time. And so uh, and so, so so half the time my dad would just be at his office because that's the only place that had central air. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I, I never thought about that because I mean. Here now, I mean, in the U.S., I mean, most people have, most people have some kind of central air in their homes, I guess. Um, we, at least, at least, die. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's that that, that I, I, I yeah, I never thought of that aspect of it because because yeah, I mean, if if I'm if I'm living in a sweat box, and yeah, and, 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 and yeah, I'm I'm going to the office. I mean, <laughs> so Vic, so Vic, to your point, your point, your story actually could be really relevant because you could have a whole lot, bunch of lawyers working in the freezer aisle of the supermarket, like with a. <laughs> Yeah, but, well, there was a Married with Children episode where they moved into the supermarket uh, because they couldn't afford, uh, obviously, any kind of air conditioning. There's going to be no confidentiality. It'll be like, I want to sit next to the frozen peas. You can budge, right? Like, I saw the news today that Burger King is providing free ice cream for dogs to help them beat the heat. Maybe we could campaign for something similar for lawyers. In the UK, right? Like, we, it depends on how that. you have to get to the office though. Cause like I have in window air conditioners in New York city, which is most common. And I'm required to go to the office three days a week. It's great that they have air conditioning, but by the time I go on the New York city subway and I am <laughs> wet and so miserable, I don't care that they have air conditioning. I would rather have never left my apartment. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> those, those, those pits, those pits in the summertime are like, like, like those, like so the ones that are like way down underground, like, Oh, those, 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 those are the worst. Ooh. Well, just as this conversation is warming up, I hate to say it's time to uh, <laughs> chill it down and uh, wrap it up for the day. <laughs> uh, but uh, I hope look forward to seeing some of you folks uh, over the next few days in Boston. And uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully with a recap of some of what we saw at AAAL. And I uh, hope everybody has a cool and wonderful weekend. See you next week. Great. Yeah, Bye. Friend, thanks. Bye.